0: This morning, uh, we're going to continue our discussion of the qualities or qualifications of elders. And you can see what's on the board, what my subject is. Uh, Alan Bonifay wrote, As the faithful men who are trusted with the decision-making, the authority to delegate responsibilities, and the spiritual protection of the congregation in which they serve, elders must be qualified men who by their study and teaching of God's Word And by their own behavior, have demonstrated to their congregation their dependable leadership skills. Most of the qualities and the qualifications imposed upon upon these men by Paul in his letters to Timothy and Titus are required of all of us, required of all faithful Christians, including the one that is the subject of our lesson this morning. And one of the qualifications is that an elder must be one who is not given to wine. The King James Version and New King James Version render the Greek word me peroanon" as not given to wine. The English Standard Version has not a drunkard. The New American Standard Bible says not addicted to wine. And the NIV says not given to drunkenness. So with all these translations and this confusion, what does all this really mean? And how does this qualification require exemplary behavior from those men who are appointed as elders? To answer this, we need to understand the meaning of the word drunkenness in the New Testament. We also need need to establish that drinking in moderation is a form of drunkenness and is also a sin. Because, you know, some people get together after dinner and serve wine to drink, or they have a glass of some sort of alcoholic beverage at bedtime. Is that okay? Is there anything wrong with it? Popular commercials on TV and in magazines include the words, drink responsibly. Is that possible? And alcohol commercials show healthy, athletic people having a great time, and they're in some sort of a wonderful outdoor adventure. And those, Are those commercials accurate? Are they painting a true picture of what alcohol will do for you? And is it possible to drink responsibly? And I want to talk with you a few minutes about the other side of the picture, and I want to study what the Bible really says about all this. And I know that alcohol has many defenders, but I like what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, alcohol has many defenders, but it has no defense. And I want us to begin by considering the evil effects of alcohol. And I want to start with a verse from the Bible in Proverbs 20, chapter uh, chapter 20, verse 1. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. No, we live in a no-fault society where alcoholism has been called a sickness or a disease for which the victim is not responsible. It's just another example where no one is willing to accept responsibility or blame for anything that he does. We have no-fault insurance. We have no-fault divorces. Why not no-fault alcoholism? It's like a disease like chicken pox, or measles, or mumps. We would never allow a company to sell a beverage which causes measles, or smallpox, or or polio. But with alcohol, it's different. It's different because it really does not contain a disease-causing ingredient. In the United States of America, every day there are more than one million people who who receive treatment for alcoholism. In the year 2014, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, 41% of all traffic deaths are alcohol-related. That means that every 30 minutes, someone is killed in a traffic accident because of alcohol. You know, if there was a disease that was killing this many people each year, our government would be warning against it and funds would be given to study it and to try to find a cure. We'd be having telethons to raise money in order to find a a vaccine. But alcohol is promoted and it's advertised at every turn. Over 20 million Americans experience problems with alcohol and there are over 12 million alcoholics. Alcohol is involved in 50% of spousal abuse cases, 40% of child abuse cases, 65% of drownings, 54% of those jailed for violent crimes. 49% of those convicted of murders or attempted murders have been drinking alcohol when they committed those crimes. I could go on and on with statistics like these and as powerful as these statistics are, I'm not gonna bore you with any more of them and I don't wanna spend time talking about things such as binge drinking or drunkenness or any of those things because just about everyone would agree that those things are wrong at least anyone who says they respect the bible because the bible clearly states it galatians five twenty one says envy murders drunkenness revelries and the like which i tell you beforehand This is also told you in the past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's so plain, and there's no doubt about it. Everybody believes that. But you see, the problem is generally not over what we call drunkenness. The problem is is over what some call social drinking or drinking in moderation, whether it's in a social setting or it's at home alone, by yourself. That's where the argument starts with a lot of people especially those not in the Lord's Church. You know, the Baptist and the Methodist churches, they led the drive to the Prohibition movement in the early part of the 20th century. Yet the Methodists now allow drinking in moderation, including their clergy. Even Billy Graham changed his view and said, and I'll quote what he said, I do not believe now that the Bible teaches teetotalism. Jesus drank wine. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast. Mr. Graham calmed the outcry from his comments by saying it is my judgment that because of the devastating problems alcohol has caused, it's better for Christians to abstain from its use. He recommends abstinence for social reasons rather than biblical reasons. Has modernism. Has it in the past made its way into the Lord's Church? Yes, it has. In the early 1900s, the first use of multiple communion cups were used in the Church of Christ. And we know how that has spread. The modernist movement would have you believe that having a shot of whiskey, a beer, or a glass of wine is now okay. We weren't as lightened back then, you know. We're more modern now, we have to stay with the times. Since the repeal of prohibition in 1933, more and more denominations have abandoned their stand for total abstinence, accepting drinking in moderation instead. We could approach this subject from different standpoints, but what I wanna do is to look at arguments made by folks, especially religious people, people who say that they have respect for the Bible, and I, want to, and I want to look at some of the best efforts they make to defend drinking in moderation. Let's consider some of the arguments made in the defense of drinking. Here's the first one. Sometimes it's said, there is no verse in the Bible that specifically forbids drinking in moderation. Only drunkenness is addressed in Scripture. What about that? First, let me say this. There are a lot of things that are not specifically con- specifically condemned in scripture but are still wrong using heroin is not specifically condemned but who's going to argue that since the new testament does not specifically command people to abstain from heroin and its use must its use must not be forgiven forbidden i'm sorry but you know many things in scriptures are forbidden in principle and i don't believe this is the case when it comes to drinking I don't believe that drinking is forbidden in principle only, but rather it is forbidden specifically. But where? The answer is in every verse that forbids drunkenness. You might say, well, I don't understand. Are you saying that drinking in moderation is forbidden in verses that forbid drunkenness? Uh, let me explain. In Ephesians 5, 18, the King James Version says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with spirit." Now the the phrase, be not drunk, is translated from the Greek word, methusko. And according to Young's analytical concordance, that word means to begin, to be softened. It means the marking of the beginning of methuo. The word is called an inceptive verb. It's a word that marks the process of becoming drunk. So what Paul is actually saying is here is do not begin the process of becoming drunk. And when a person consumes alcohol, he is beginning to be softened. And that's social drinking is condemned in the verses that discuss drunkenness. The implication here is that people begin to be drunk when they begin to drink. And I believe the reason people struggle with this is because... Of what they see or maybe because of what they don't see. If they don't see a person staggering or in a drunken stupor, they don't consider that person to be drunk. But that's not what the that's not the Bible basis on which drunkenness is determined. Science and medical studies also bear out the fact that when a person begins to drink that they are to some degree drunk. How much does a person need to drink to be affected? As early as the 1960s, the Journal of America, American, American Medical Association stated, there is no minimum blood alcohol concentration that can be set at which there will be absolutely no effect. Somebody might say, well, you know, that's old. We're wiser now. We've had scientific advances in the last 60 years. Listen to a quote from the Journal of American Medical Association from the year 2009. It says, although legal limits for blood alcohol levels have been set in most states, impairment in driving skills can occur with any amount of alcohol in the bloodstream. There's a website overseen by the University of Oklahoma Police Department. You can go to this website and put in your weight and what you're drinking and the length of time you've been drinking and the number of drinks, and it will approximate your blood alcohol content. And I did some samples for a 145 pound person. I put in a five ounce drink of wine, drinking it immediately, it said that person is at .05% blood alcohol content. And if you uh, put in a 160 pound person and one drink of reduced alcohol beer, notice it's reduced alcohol beer, consumed over the period of 1 hour and put that in there at a blood al- you get a blood alcohol of 0.02%. You might say, that doesn't mean anything to me. What was this 0.02? What does that mean? Another website called stopimpaireddriving.org said that at 0.02% blood alcohol content, a person has some loss of judgment, relaxation altered mood, decline in visual functions, decline in ability to perform tasks. The world admits, not even considering religious people, but the world admits some amount of drunkenness, impairment, and loss of judgment with one low alcohol content drink. Now in light of that, how can a Christian possibly defend drinking with one low alcohol drink, you're already affected and impaired. And it gets worse with each consecutive drink or with stronger drinks, such as wine. And so the Bible does condemn social drinking or drinking in moderation. It's in the verses that discuss drunkenness. Let's consider a second argument. Sometimes people will appeal to Ephesians chapter 5 Verse eighteen, and they will say that this passage shows that alcohol is only wrong in excess, not in moderation. Let's consider this passage. The King James Version says in Ephesians five eighteen, "And be not drunk with wine, wherein it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit." And so the argument says, or the person who argues says, see drinking alcohol in moderation is not condemned, it's drinking it in excess that's condemned. And that argument, I believe, is really a misunderstanding of the word excess here in this verse. The word doesn't refer to an excessive amount of alcohol at all. It refers to excessive or ungodly behavior. The American Standard uh, Version says this, And be not drunken with wine wherein is riot." Instead of using the word excess, it says right, but be filled with the spirit. I think that better conveys the idea. The idea then is this don't begin drinking alcohol, which brings ungodly behavior, but rather be filled with the spirit, which has the opposite effect. Drinking in moderation has let millions of people become immoderate drinkers because alcohol is a habit forming narcotic. Each drinker of alcohol is a potential alcoholic. Would God actually endorse the use of a substance that brings so much misery? Alright, number three, let's consider another argument that is sometimes made in defense of drinking in moderation. An argument has been made that says that drinking wine has health benefits. This is sometimes used by people who are seeking to defend their desire to drink wine. And they will sometimes refer to a study that states that drinking one glass of wine per day is actually good for your health. They're referring to a study that says that a chemical substance in wine called resveratrol, which helps prevent cardiovascular disease and cancer. And I want to read to you something from the Mayo Clinic website concerning this Argument, this issue. It's dated March 9, 2016. It says the American Heart Association does not recommend that you start drinking alcohol to prevent heart disease. Alcohol is addictive, it increases your risk of high blood pressure, high triglycerides, liver damage, obesity, certain types of cancer, accidents, and other problems. In addition, even small amounts of alcohol can, call, can cause cardiomyopathy, weakened heart muscle and heart failure in some people. And here's one more quote from Martha Grogan, a cardiologist at the Mayo Clinic. She says, any benefit of the use of red wine for health purposes is due to a substance called, called resveratrol. Resveratrol is found in the skin of the seeds of dark red and purple grapes. It's also found in grape juice, especially juice made from dark purple Concord grapes. Recent studies have suggested that red and purple grapes provide the same heart-healthy benefits of red wine. She goes on to say that both red wine and grape juice also contain antioxidants, which have been shown to increase your good cholesterol, lower your risk of clogged arteries, and may help lower blood pressure. And so this argument is just a smokescreen. It really isn't worth considering. Number five, well, I think it's number four, Number three, Uh, the next argument that some people make is to say that Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. First, it is not the case that anytime we see the word wine in the Bible that it always refers to an alcoholic drink. The word wine is a generic word and can refer to either fermented or unfermented juice of the grape. In fact, the same of uh, folks who would point to a modern day dictionary where the word wine is described as alcoholic, you only have to go back three or four decades or four or five decades. The dictionaries of those times described wine as either alcoholic or non-alcoholic. For example, the 1955 Funk and Wagnall's New Standard Dictionary defines wine as the fermented or non-fermented juice of the grape. Therefore, the Bible context, the Bible context must determine which type is meant. Let's look at some examples. Here's an alcoholic passage. Proverbs 23:31 through 32 says, "Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper." That's clearly referring to alcoholic wine. Now here's an example of non-alcoholic usage. Isaiah 65, verse 8. As the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Do not destroy it, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. Now here, it's still in the grapes. But it's called wine. In these passages, the same Hebrew word is translated, our English word, wine. And the same thing is true in the New Testament with reference to the Greek language. In the New Testament, there are five different Greek terms for wine. The one most commonly used is oinos. The word is sometimes used to refer to fermented wine and sometimes used to refer to unfermented wine or grape juice. So we cannot ever assume that because the word wine is used that it's alcoholic wine well, what about the argument that Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding feast? And therefore, he endorsed drinking in moderation, or he endorsed social drinking. First, the person making that argument has to prove that it was alcoholic wine, which they can't do. And second, the context indicates that the wine was not fermented. Notice in the passage in John chapter 2, verse 10. After Jesus had turned the water into wine, the governor of the feast tasted it and said, this is what he said in verse 10. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. What's interesting to note is the phrase well drunk. This can be translated as drunk freely or drunk largely and the way we would say it today is they had all they wanted. They had plenty. Now this if this was truly alcoholic wine, people would have already violated the passages that everyone would agree prohibit drunkenness. And what we would have is this. If this was truly alcoholic wine, you would have a group of people who have drunk freely of alcoholic wine. They would have drunk alcoholic wine until they had plenty. And then you would have Jesus making 120 or 160 more gallons of alcoholic wine for people who had already had plenty. How the, could the Lord forbid drunkenness and then do that? So what's the point of all this? The point of, is that the word oinos can mean either alcoholic or non-alcoholic wine. And the context of John 2 points to non-alcoholic wine. And here's another argument. We read in 1 Timothy, we read in 1 Timothy, words that say, not given to wine, or not given to much wine. And some people will argue that 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, that elders are required not to be given to wine, whereas in verse 8, deacons are not to be given to much wine. The argument that they make is that this passage implies that elders cannot have any wine, but the deacons can have some wine as long as it's not too much. And you know, it's argued that these two phrases, not given to wine and not given to much wine, give implied consent for uh, deacons to drink wine in moderation. First, we need to understand that the warnings against, uh, against excess can never be Used as approval for the action itself. For example, in Ephesians 4:26 the Bible says, "Be angry and do not sin, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. This verse is not giving approval for practicing wrath prior to sundown. First Peter chapter four verses three through four show the error, error of this implied consent argument. Verse three mentions the excess of wine some folks would say see that only condemns wine in excess or they might argue that this verse implies consent for wine as long as it's not excessive in other words drinking in moderation is okay but the passage goes on in the next verse to discuss excess of riot now if this is implied consent if this implied uh, consent argument is accurate, then in this verse we would have divine sanction for right and moderation. Certainly that's not a valid argument. Ecclesiastes 7.17 says, be not overmuch wicked. That's from the American Standard Version. If we want to use that argument, would that imply that it's okay to be some wicked? Or to be wicked in moderation? James 1.21 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Does that mean it's okay to be wicked as as long as it's not overflowing? Let me show you where this argument will take you. Let me show you how absurd this this will get. Let's assume for a moment that it's true that elders can't drink at all, but deacons can drink in moderation. The same phrase is applied to deacons in 1 Timothy 3.8 is applied to aged women. In, in Titus 2:3. And so the aged women could also drink in moderation if this were true. But it's interesting, uh, interestingly, it's, it's not applied to the younger women, and so the younger women cannot drink. In addition, 1 Timothy 3:11 describes deacon, Deacon's wives as being sober. The Greek word here uh, means to abstain from wine. Titus 2:2 2, 2 requires that aged men be sober, or abstain from wine. So let's put all this together and see what we get. Elders can't drink at all, but deacons can. Older men can't drink at all, but older women can. Deacons can drink, but their wives can't. Older women can drink, but younger women can't. Who would believe this? It's just absolute nonsense. But that's where these arguments will get you when you try to defend drinking alcohol. If you're still not convinced that the Bible doesn't prohibit drinking in moderation. There's something else that I want you to consider. And that's our influence. When a person who professes to be a Christian drinks alcohol, he's doing something that even the world sees as an adult vice. And he greatly damages his influence. And he's doing something that even the world understands is wrong. He's also doing something that's going to make himself a stumbling block to new Christians and new, to young Christians and new converts. I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. The Apostle Paul is discussing meat offered to idols here. And I believe the context is different because he's not discussing. He's discussing something that's that's not in and of itself wrong, but of course those who argue argue for moderate drinking don't believe that it's wrong. They believe that it's not necessarily sinful. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 through 13. He says, "For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat?" those things offered to idols. And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for who Christ died. But when thus you thus sin against the brethren and with their weak conscience you would sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Now Paul is saying someone else may see me doing it. And it may cause him to sin. And then in the light of that, I will never do that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, it's going to be a whole lot harder to do that. In fact, I'd say it's going to be impossible to do that if you have an alcoholic drink in your hand. Guy N. Woods, who's a famous preacher, once said, any man, elder, deacon, preacher, or any person in the church cannot set the proper example of Christian living who engages in the use in any degree of that which has been the occasion of so much sorrow, grief, and ruin in the world. Temperance and the use of harmful things is total abstinence. There is no such thing as a proper moderate use of drugs, alcohol, and other harmful substances. Proverbs 21, chapter 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Not given to wine. This is a quality that must be present in any man who might become an elder. It's something that we should see in a man's life before he is able to lead the church. The role of the elder is to guide and protect the flock, the flock that belongs to Christ. The role is so important that the Holy Spirit has given us a list of qualifications and of qualities that these men must have. Not given to wine is such an important quality that the Holy, Holy Spirit has seen fit include it in that list the world treats drinking alcohol flippantly. But we should treat it as a command from God to abstain from such a sinful activity. A potential elder should be known for his sobriety and should be a long-time exemplary example for the rest of the congregation. That That ends our lesson. If you need to stand with Christ... You need to act in faith and obey obey the plan of salvation. If you've already taken those steps but you've sinned publicly, you can come forward now as we stand and sing the invitation song.